0: Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and I am joined today by Jeremy Richardson. And no, we're not uh, we're not brothers. We may be long lost cousins, but Jeremy uh, works with RBC Global Asset Management uh, at their London offices as Senior Portfolio Manager with the global team there. Jeremy, welcome to the, the podcast today.
1: Absolute pleasure, Dave.
0: Yeah, you're gonna see very quickly that uh, genetically, uh, Jeremy got a little bit more than, uh, th- than I did, uh, and that's why we've got him on, because we're going to talk about something really important, uh, and that is ESG, Environment, Social, Governance, Investing, and Responsible Investing. Uh, Jeremy and the, and the team that manages a lot of global portfolios for RBC Global Asset Management uh, are strong ad- adhere, uh, ad- adheres to the, the ESG process. It's been a real differentiator uh, in their results for a long, long time. Jeremy, one of the things that, uh, that I wanted to get you on t- today, along with some of the other guests we're going to have talking about ESG in this, uh, in this series that we're doing on ESG and responsible investing, is, is the, the, the different place that Europe is in relative to North America and really the rest of the world around ESG and the adoption of ESG into it, into the investment process. Can you talk a little bit about where Europe is relative to the rest of the world? And when in your career you became aware of ESG and, and when you started to embed it into the processes that you, you use with your team?
1: Sure, gladly. So no, I, I think you're probably right in your assessment there, Dave. The... Um... It, it does feel as though Europe is at the vanguard of implementing ESG and has been for a, a while. And when we look at the, the way in which the, the rest of the world approaches this, I would say that uh, we've probably got you know, the United States, which is sort of lagging behind Europe, and then Canada is somewhere between the two. Uh, and then it's when you get outside of of those main regions, you start moving into Southeast Asia, Australia, and so on. That you've got patchy levels of of adoption. Some very strong, others just beginning in the footsteps, trying to sort of uh, uh, yeah, understand and, and adopt principles of ESG. And I think that difference between the European point of view and perhaps more so the, the North American point of view, arguably, I think, goes back to sort of like you know, many many decades. Um, you could look at perhaps sort of principles around partnership, around uh, you know the, some of the, the ways in which the sort of the industrial captains of the 19th century put businesses together, looking after workers, building their factories and so on. Um, you know, it's, it's almost sort of like very ethical approach towards business. And we never really lost that, I think, in, in, in many parts of the European sphere. Whereas in North America, there was a new idea which appeared in the 1970s, which was all around about um, shareholder value, and yeah. you know, for Milton Friedman, I think was um, perhaps often misquoted in terms of his famous 1971 article with the New York Times, saying that the social responsibility of business is to maximize its profits. And I think I think over time that basic idea, and to be fit, to be clear, to Mr. Friedman, he was not saying that it should be uh, maximized at the expense of other providers, other stakeholders. But I think it, that's how it became interpreted with this idea of shareholder value creation. And so that has woven its way into the way that there's collective thought uh, backed up by uh, legislation uh, such that there's now a, a duty of care to maximize uh, profits as, a, as, a, as an investor. And there is a perhaps an inherent contradiction and that's some discomfort therefore between the principles of ESG and actually doing the right thing for your investors. And I think you know when we are talking to investors, there's still, I think within North America, a, a, a tension there between investing with this long-term approach, trying to look after not only the financial returns, but the extra financial returns, realizing that both can be complementary and, and you're not achieving one at the expense of another uh, with this very sort of like almost black and white view that actually if I do ESG, if I implement it, actually I'm, I'm actually compromising the financial returns, which we you know, which we would disagree with. And I think, um, you know, Pleasingly, it feels as though that whole debate is beginning to move. We're seeing seeing adjustments. And actually, there's a greater appreciation, a more mature appreciation, that shareholder value is, is great, but not if it comes at the expense of other stakeholders. Because then all you're doing is you're shifting wealth, you're shifting capital from one group of stakeholders to another that is not wealth creating, that's wealth transference, and eventually you run out of other people's capital. So those types of business models ultimately prove to be unsustainable. I think that's increasingly appreciated now. So we're seeing this this development, this, this um, blossoming of, this, of interest in, in ESG everywhere. Um, but I would say that in terms of sort of the, the breadth of the adoption, I would, yes, for the moment at least, Europe still seems to be a little bit ahead of, of North America, as I say, with with Canada sort of somewhere between the uh, Europe and and, um, and the U.S. So, so Jeremy, you, you perhaps do
0: as, as as good a job as anyone I've heard in terms of articulating uh, how ESG is is a, is a value add to your investment process. We, you, you were just covering off that that it's not that black and white trade off that some sometimes people think of. If I if I worry about a company's uh, way of managing uh, environmental concerns or or treating their employees well or adhering to particularly strong governance within there, there's not a trade off in terms of the bottom line. You actually view it the other way is it it, it can be additive. And if you can go in and identify those companies that are doing this well, they tend to do a better job over the long haul of giving value back to their shareholders. Maybe you could you could expand on that in terms of your view of ESG and why it's so important in your process.
1: Absolutely. And I think it all really rests upon a very simple foundational concept, which is all about uh, having an ownership mindset. Okay. And I think this ownership mindset is, is, is so important because if, if one thinks like an owner, then you'll behave differently. You'll, you'll, you'll accept the responsibilities of ownership. And it means that you'll be interested in stewarding that asset and making it better and while by the process of stewardship and making it better, you're actually adding value to it. And you know, we do this in our private lives all of the time, right? Yeah. So for example, you know, if we, I don't know, maybe we sort of like clean the car on a Sunday morning or when it gets to you know, seasons change and there's leaves in the gutters, we get out there and we, and we clear them up. And, and we do these things because we are invested in the assets, we're invested in the, in, you know, the communities in which we live. You know, we care about the long-term consequences. And when it comes to investing, I think you know, many of us have got long-term objectives, right? So there seems to me a perfect marriage between the long-term needs that we have, you know, our desire to have uh, you know, financial security in the long term, with, with the way in which we invest. Because if, you're, if you've got a long-term objective, then you, it's in your interest, I would argue, to care about the stewardship of these assets because you're going to be around, probably as an investor, when the benefits of this actually accrue to you. So, you know, it's, um you know, we would heartily disagree with the famous actor who said that, you know, the fastest car in the world is a higher car. It's, you know, it, that's a very short-term way of approaching, you know, thinking about what you can get rather than actually what you can build. And so actually thinking like an owner, we think is, is, is so important. And we do this, as I say, in you know, private lives all the time, and ESG is just a way in which we can, uh, we can get better information to make more holistic, more com- uh, complete assessments of, of of investment opportunities, and then once we've made those investment opportunities, can be part of the uh, active stewardship of those of those companies. So, for example, you know, if we were going to make a let's imagine picture a scenario, right, um, Dave, that we were perhaps we were thinking about uh, buying a property together, or maybe we were sort of thinking about making a big investment, right? You know, I, if I came to you with, say, like, look, look, I've seen this, seen this, this this picture of this condo. It's a it's a terrific uh, terrific location. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, you would be quite within your rights to say, no, no, wait, we need to do a survey. We need to go and like you know we do some basic due diligence we want to do uh you know has it been well built? are there any obligations in terms of what the grand rents are, the servicing charges, all this sort of thing? has it been left in good repair? you know you want to check all that stuff out before you actually take ownership and this is the reason why I think ESG could be so powerful is because you're actually getting a more complete, more holistic sense, uh, set of information for you then to be able to make, um, you know, to, to implement your investment decisions. And with that better information, the chances are you're going to make better results.
0: And, and, and so you, you firmly believe, and it, and it comes back to what you've just been, been sharing, that this adds alpha in your investment process. Maybe, uh, maybe as well, I'm going to lean on you because, again, you're so good at explaining things. Maybe explain what alpha is and then how this adds alpha into the portfolios that you manage? How, what's the direct connection uh, be, between well, are, what, the, the process you follow and, and adding alpha in your in your investment management mandate. Yeah,
1: so so you know, in our industry, um, you know, many people think about alpha as being an excess return. You know, it's how better your investment return in your portfolio is compared to a relevant opportunity set. And that might be uh, uh, described by a benchmark, say. So, so this is excess returns this is what the, sort of the, the industry looks like. And of course, you know, beating the market, having an investment return, which does de- better than, uh, than the benchmark, is you know, not an easy thing. There's a lot of smart people out there trying to, trying to do this. And there's a, a cadre of opinion that uh, maintains that it's almost impossible, on average, to be able to, to beat the market. We would heartily disagree with that because we think, actually, the market isn't totally efficient. And in fact, there's a lot of opportunity for a stock picker to, to beat the market. All you have to do is look at the number of match share prices are moving up and down every day to realize that, well, if I was only able to just own the things that go up and avoid the things that go down, that would lead to a significantly yeah. better uh, investment outcome than um, you know, investing in, in, the, in the benchmark. But of course, the secret is identifying which one's more likely to go up in the long run and avoiding those which are more likely to go down. And actually, we think that ESG is a really good tool with which one is able to make a better assessment over time of those types of opportunities. And the reason why we think that is because what ESG is doing is allowing an investor to tap in to some of the things that make businesses special and different and are able to be able to, to beat the market, but which are poorly explained, and I would argue poorly understood by investors using traditional financial reporting. Um, you know, So I I used to be uh, trained as an accountant many, 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 many moons ago. And so I've had the pleasure of doing, like auditing lots of different types of businesses, but never once have I had to audit human capital or culture or innovation or you know, speed of decision-making. You know, the, and yet, these are all characteristics, we would argue, that are supported by strong ESG practices, You know, the support you have from your suppliers, your customers, your community, how well you'll be able to utilize the world's natural resources. It, these are all things that we think contribute towards healthy, sustainable businesses that give you healthy forms of extra financial capital, as we say, would say, but none of these things will you find in the p balance sheet and cash flow. And because of that, you know, the computers don't see them. The computers don't try and value them. They're often overlooked by investors. And actually, I think you know, that is where uh, that sort of persistent form of market inefficiency Really resides, and so by using ESG as a tool, a you know a magnifying glass to try and identify these really important extra financial components of value, we can hopefully identify those companies which uh, enjoy healthy forms of capital, which are therefore you know will in time move through towards the you know, it will turn into uh, sales. Those would because of the support of customers, um, attractive end markets. They'll you know they'll. Um, you know, have less emissions, which means that you know, there's often associated with costs. And so you end up, you're supporting your profits, and that actually gives you a better investment outcome. And you're less likely to you know, to tread on those landmines, those, those bad businesses who are borrowing from uh, stakeholders uh, and creating weakness, you know, business models that have got an inherent weakness within them, that when they become realized, they're going to hit shareholders in the wallet. And, you know, lots of examples over the years of companies and Business models that have fallen foul of those issues. You could think about things like you know, drug pricing issues. We could think about things like you know, emission scandals. We could think about you. Know, I would argue even things like social media today have got some profound questions uh, being raised um, in, in public you know, places and inquiries and so on, challenging some of these things. All examples I would th- I would argue of where sort of um, you know, uh, uh, not strong ESG practices are undermining perhaps some of the health of these extra financial components. Uh, so that's kind of what we're try- how we see ESG as a tool at all, try and sort of um, you know support alpha rather than limit it. And hence, hopefully, you'll, you know, through those remarks, you'll see that you know, we do passionately believe that there is no conflict between this idea about integrating ESG into a portfolio and generating alpha. So, so, so
0: if it's very difficult to identify these things through traditional accounting metrics and mm. and and financial metrics, how do you identify the companies? That are stronger in these areas than, than others. How do you differentiate between investment choices?
1: Yeah, so for us, it's uh, we start with the business model. So we're looking for businesses which are doing something different, have a competitive edge, and that's going to vary from industry to industry. So that's the thing that really excites us. And you know, our you know, the antennae get twitchy, and we're we're yeah. sort of like yeah. you know, that's. You know, and we like sort of like sniffing out like a, a new opportunity, we go off and start doing our due diligence. And as part of that due diligence, actually, we want to understand not only that this company has found a better mousetrap, a way of actually beating its competitors, but it's how it does that business that's also important to us because, you know, there is a, you know, we believe that there's a right way and a wrong way to, to run a business. These are choices and management teams should be held accountable for the choices that they make. So when we are doing our due diligence, we want to understand that the company's, is and we often talk about you know, thinking like long term owners of businesses, we like to invest, co-invest with management teams who also think like owners who would behave as if it's their own money. And if you think it like you're investing your own money, you're going to do that with care and attention. You'll be thinking about that for hopefully for, for the long term. And so you're less likely to cut corners, you're more likely to invest in staff training, good working conditions, you know, tidy up after yourself, be care about your community relations, um, you know, think about the next generation. These are all th- things, therefore, that uh, incrementally contribute to a more sustainable uh, business. And we think actually provide an edge, which over time allows these better businesses to be able to outperform those that are, are weaker. Because as I said, you know, if you construct a business where you are borrowing from these other stakeholder groups, for a time, that might make your financial capital look a little bit better. But ultimately, you can only borrow so much, right? Before that, that, debt has to be paid back, and when that happens, you know there is a, there is a reckoning, and you know that's when we see the you know, the share prices respond. So you know, focus on those businesses that you know, got these these great business models. They're, they they they're, they're, they are they've got a business model which is delighting its customers, delivering a product or service which customers really appreciate, but they're doing it in a way which makes it it sustainable. And that makes it a good long term investment. And avoid those that are you know, perhaps boring from other stakeholders to make the numbers look better, but ultimately that proves to be unsustainable.
0: Yeah, I, I, I again I, I always love the way you position this because so many people get bogged down as soon as you mention ESG or responsible investing, that I'm I'm making some kind of trade-off. Whereas mm. your philosophy that it's just another tool that you can use in a, as an investment manager to identify Superior businesses that are managed more effectively, and 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 almost there's a there's a passion for that ownership and driving returns again, not just to the bottom line, which which ultimately we we're going to find that connection, but but across all stakeholders, and 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 it, and it's made for better investments for you. It's 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 such a it, it's it's such an, an an interesting evolution of the way we think about investment management.
1: Yeah, and you know, it hasn't always been like this, right? I mean, the, this yeah. is um, you know, there, there was a time I remember. You know, golly, we've been working together as a team now for over fifteen years, and towards the beginning of that period, we were sort of told by people that ESG, you know, not not within our, our firm, I'm pleased to say, David, but uh, external partners, uh, that yeah, ESG was something that people wouldn't understand, that you know, we shouldn't necessarily go out and talk to people about it. But so I'm, I'm enormously heartened. That the way in which it's now become part of the, the general investing landscape. But actually, there's still a long way to go, we believe. There's a, still a lot of opportunity um, to identify you know, great businesses and to, to partner with them to the betterment of portfolios, I think. Um, this is, uh, we're still in the early innings.
0: Excellent, well, Jeremy, a great catching up with you. Always great to see you. Uh, say hi to grandma for me back over in the UK. And, uh, and hopefully you can join us uh, again uh, in the near future and, uh, and we'll, get, uh, we'll dig even deeper into this topic. Thanks again.
1: Thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure.
0: This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions. RBC Global Asset Management is the Asset Management Division of Royal Bank of Canada, RBC, which includes RBC Global Asset Management, Inc., RBC Global Asset Management, U.S. Inc., RBC Global Asset Management, U.K. Limited, RBC Global Asset Management, Asia Limited, and Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP, which are separate but affiliated subsidiaries of RBC.